0: it's around the house. Make sure you understand your local building code. And, you know, unfortunately um, every state is different and some areas the state doesn't run the building codes, the city does. So you could be, you could have one building code on one side of the street and literally another building code on the other side of the street. So in my area, it is a um, mostly a state building code even though like the city of Portland has the ability to do some additional ones on top of it. But generally speaking in, uh, The states around me, at least, uh, it is a state issue. Uh, The east and uh, the northeast here in the United States, uh, definitely uh, a state or a local issue, depending on what they are. And when it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know. But we've got you coming. This is Around the House. Welcome to the Around the House show, your news source for everything about your home every single week. Thanks for joining us today. Well, I wanted to talk today about my, in this hour at least, my top 10 electrical and plumbing mistakes that homeowners make, you know, the common ones to maybe see if we can help you avoid some of those, whether or not you're the the DIYer or even the staff that you're hiring professionals. This list is one of those things that if we can help you, uh, well, make a better project that's more successful, then that's a win for everybody. Today's show is sponsored by Root Quencher and RootQuencher.com. If you've got landscaping and sprinklers and things like that, and you're trying to keep those trees and bushes and shrubs watered, they put the water right down the roots, and that saves you money because you don't have to use so much water. RootQuencher.com. Well, today, I wanted to just jump right in uh, with our list. But first, if you have any questions on this stuff, how do you find us over at AroundTheHouseOnline.com? And we can help you right there. Well, let's talk about it. Number one on my list, and this isn't in a particular order, so this isn't like, well, we'll we'll call it number 10, actually. We'll count down here, even though that they're not in that kind of order. But number 10, electrical work. What's some of the biggest problems? Not using junction boxes correctly in electrical. You know, those buried connections in the wall where you go, oh, man, I don't want to have to see that. I don't want to have to see where that plate is in the wall because I had a fixture there and I don't want to rip the whole wall open to put new wire in to make it longer, where people bury that junction box. And you know, there's ways to do this, to do it correctly, you know, so maybe it's not so obvious, but you can still do it. Like if it's in a wall cavity, let's say that it's in the living room and you moved a, a wall sconce. You know, so it was better served. Well, what's on the back side of the wall? Sometimes, if it's like a two by four wall, you can flop that box around and maybe it's a closet, maybe it's a a uh, you know, bedroom wall where it's less obtrusive. Maybe you can put that on the other side where you put the junction box hole in the outside or the other side of the wall. So maybe there's ways to move around and get that knocked out. And so that's one of the things there. Um, I tell you what, I see this often in old homes and attics. Somebody went up, took the old knob and tube wiring out, connected in regular Romax, and off they went. And these are things that you know are issues like that. And uh, as well, let's 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 hit the nail on the head here as well. Make sure you got covers on those boxes. You know, you got it in the box in the attic. Those covers are there to contain that. And to protect that. So, having a junction box without a cover is still like not having a junction box. You want to make sure that you've got that. I mean, it'll control the wires better, but if you have some kind of arcing or sparks, you want that somewhat contained there. And that's the key so you don't have a fire down the road. So, making sure that uh, those junction boxes are done correctly and make sure that you've got like the right connectors and stuff. If it's a metal box, do you have it just going through there? you know, without any of the crimp connections or any of those kind of things where it actually protects the wire going through there. So those are all things that are supposed to protect the wire, hold the wire in there so you don't get chafing or cause short. So that's the first one. The next one here is one that I always talk about, but it's one that is a important one. And this is homeowners using shark bite or push to connect fittings to do permanent plumbing fixes. Now, there are things that you can do with shark bites. Like if you're working in a bathroom, you're going to be doing some work and need to plug off a line, shark bites are great for that. Or push to connect fittings. I'm going to use shark bites like Kleenex and bathroom tissue, facial tissue. That's kind of that. But really, this is what it is. So, what I want you to do is make sure that you don't use those fittings. Now, you know, I hear a lot of people, oh, if they sell them and they have a warranty, yeah, but I have seen projects worth hundreds of thousands of dollars get completely destroyed because fittings were put on correctly and they slid off and failed. So I had that happen on a PEX job a few years ago with a contractor and they got the whole basement remodel done and the basement remodel had to be happen over again because of the water that was in there where they went from CPVC into PEX and the and the plumber back then. So this was probably ah, four or five years ago. Plumber back then used that. And uh, now, you know, this is kind of the thing that we're seeing is good plumbers don't use these as permanent fixes. Now, what's the best way to do it? Well, if you're going from, let's say, CPVC into PEX, great. Glue on a fitting that's female, put a male fitting on there, some Teflon tape, and continue on with it. And so use a threaded connection that'll be stronger. You know, if you have copper that you're working with, great. That's an easy one. Sweat on a fitting that's got barbs on it. Then you can go over to your PEXA or whatever throughout that. But really taking the time to get those things, you know, going is great. Now, in a crawl space or something, if you have a a fitting down there, sure, I get that. But never bury a shark bite or one of the push connect fittings in a wall. First off, here's why I don't like using them on projects as well. Let's just get into the nuts and bolts of it. One, it's a failure point. Two, they're darn expensive. When you start looking at a $10 fitting versus a you know, a $2 fitting, that adds up quick in a project. So, my my best recommendation for you as a homeowner is to get the right tools. If your house uses PEX, you're going to be replacing with PEX great. If you're going to be sitting there and you've got copper and you need to do a repair, I mean, it's good for, a to have in the toolbox in case something goes bad. Don't get me wrong. But really when it comes down to it, learning how to sweat pipe is easy. It's not that hard to do. And it's the right way to fix these problems. And if I can learn how to sweat pipe, I know you can learn how to sweat pipe. It's not that hard to get the torch out. And so, uh, that is going to be the strongest way. And there's tests that show that, that, uh, like when you're working on copper, it's not close as far as what the PSI takes to uh, to destroy that copper versus destroy the, uh, the shark bite fitting blowing off the end. So these are things that, uh, you know, doing this right and using these fittings in the correct place is good. And, you know, just take the time and do this right. It will save you so much time and money in the long run. And you're not going to have to worry about it. The last thing you want to do is go, man, I got 50 bucks for the shark bike fittings behind the behind the shower wall. And if I got to tear this out again and redo the tile or go through the outside of the house or a bedroom, just because I didn't do it right, this is where things really start to get expensive, especially you got to tear that shower out. Oh my gosh. That's not one of the good ones. So uh, just things to consider, things to consider. And I did see this this last weekend. I was over at a house that I'm looking at for an upcoming project where the homeowner uh, had been taken advantage of by an unlicensed illegal contractor. And uh, Jason McDaniels from Global Tile Posse, which if you remember back, that was the Sledgehammer Contractors people that came in and fixed it. This job was of equal poor quality to the Sledgehammer Contractor, except he didn't come try to repo it. Uh, much more stand-up of a person after they you know, took these people's money. At least they're now starting to give some money back to them, so I have to give them you know some kudos for that at least one check has shown up but uh this is one of those things that I look at and go man there is an expensive lesson here as uh we went out and uh looked at what this I'm going to use air quotes a contractor definitely not a licensed contractor but uh these three bathrooms that we took a look at were some of the worst bathrooms for me it was the worst bathroom I had seen as far as tile and for Jason he said it was as well so These are things that we want to try to avoid. I'll talk a little bit more about that project when we come back just as soon as Around the House returns. Where we hope to get the most out of your home through information and education. Thanks for joining us today. We've been talking about my uh, top ten electrical and plumbing mistakes that uh, homeowners typically make, and uh, trying to really help you uh, dodge them yourselves, or at least think about them to see if it's something that you could improve your skills on. And uh, you know, and and homeowners are not are not uh, just the only ones that make these mistakes. Uh, I was out on Saturday. We we're talking in the last segment. I was out at uh, a house, you're fairly close to me, 10 minutes away. And uh, these unfortunate people got taken advantage of by a uh, contractor. And we use the word contractor loosely because lot license bonded insured they missed that part of the research and uh, took them for a ride. And uh, Jason and I were going through and taking a look. And oh my gosh, the plumbing mistakes, the tile mistakes, the siding, windows and doors, framing. This, whole, this is going to be a project that if uh, the homeowner had the money, they would be paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to fix correctly. I mean, he got a quote just on the outside of the house that was uh, like 180 grand just to fix the exterior from the mistakes these people had made. So you can just kind of get an idea how bad this project is. So this is something that uh, you out there that are homeowners, you probably would have done a better job than this quote unquote, you know, uh, person pretending to be a contractor. And two, uh, I think most people would have stopped and went, wow, I'm over my skis on this and gotten some help. And uh, none of those things happen on this project. So we're going to try to help these people a little bit and uh, put together something to at least uh, help them get back into this house, because right now it is currently not livable. And that's going to be an issue for them. So next up on our list here, uh, not following electrical and plumbing code. And this is one of the biggest mistakes that are made out there. And I see this, especially when it's like a water heater install or something like that. Um, many times someone will come in, replace a water heater. They're going to replace what's there, put it back the same way as best they can and off they go. And if a homeowner came in there first and rolled their house and has already had their hand in replacing the water heater a couple times, you could be just duplicating those mistakes that were already made. For instance, in many areas, you have to have on a water heater, building code says it has to be strapped to the wall and attached to studs. You, um, in some areas, they require an expansion tank. In some areas, that drain line uh, for the pressure temperature relief valve needs to go all the way outside of the exterior of the building. Uh, if it's an electric water heater, there needs to be Romex, not Romex coming out of the wall. It needs to be a whip where it's a, uh, you know, moisture, uh, you know, a, a stranded line typically that's going to go out there or even a hard copper one, depending on what you've got going on. But uh, really, it needs to be in conduit from the water heater all the way up to the box. That conduit probably needs to be attached someplace so it's not whipping around so you see where I'm going at here. These are the issues that we see, and then when we get into gas, venting is also a big danger as well. So you can see, we're just in a water heater; these code issues can be such a major issue with what you have going on. And uh, you know, if you're if you're doing things even differently, like going from a a gas water heater to a on demand, and now you've got different efficiencies and you've got different vents. This is where building code is really your friend. And when it comes to gas, health, safety, and welfare stuff like this, or electrical, you don't want to fire, and plumbing as well, where you don't want to get someone hurt. These are all things that uh, should be done correctly into your local building code. So make sure you understand your local building code. And you know, unfortunately, um, every state is different. And some areas, the state doesn't run the building codes, the city does. So you could be, you could have one building code on one side of the street and literally another building code on the other side of the street. So these are issues you need to, uh, to take a look at in my area. It is a, uh, mostly a state building code, even though like the city of Portland has the ability to do some additional ones on top of it. But generally speaking in, uh, the States around me, at least, uh, it is a state issue, but, uh, the, the east and uh, the northeast here in the United States, uh, definitely uh, a state or a local issue, depending on what they are. And you could have, of course, um, international building code could be grabbed in one year in like 2012 or whatever. And then you could have somebody that's just grabbing, you know, a newer version of it. So you've got different versions out there as well. So this is why I can't really address it here is there's just too many variables of what it is but you want to at least exceed that building code if you want to take it farther that's even better but as far as meeting that code you want to make sure you got that in there so making sure that you understand what that code is and uh, what you're doing you know and and some of these things are are like putting the chandelier over the top of the bathtub in the bathroom uh you know some of these things that are really kind of dangerous if you're standing in the bathtub and you're tall and you reach that chandelier You shouldn't be grabbing electrical stuff when you're a bathtub. That's like grabbing the hairdryer. And we've seen that in way too many movies. Uh, And it usually doesn't end well for the person catching the hairdryer. So these are things you just want to understand and understand why they're there. So uh, something to consider when doing that. Now, the next one up here is a big one. And this is in plumbing, using the wrong materials. So this is going to be Number six, basically, on our list, using the wrong materials in plumbing. And what I'm talking about is some of the flex drain options that you can get when you're trying to trying to repair maybe a P-trap or something underneath your sink or bathroom vanity. These are things that, um, you know, there are a lot of things that you can buy in home centers, especially when it comes to plumbing, that don't meet building code. So make sure you understand what that is and that you're good to go. Because the last thing I want to see you have to worry about is making sure that um, you've got problems that uh, are going to damage your home. So make sure that you're using the right materials, which goes back to that last one, which is not following a local electrical code. You know, we see this all the time. I see this in water heaters, like we were talking about, where where they um, were mixing materials together, where I've I've seen rust coming out. I'm like, why is that rust coming from in the house? Is it a a plumbing line failing? No, somebody grabbed out of the truck or their garage a uh, piece of black iron gas pipe, and they used it to to be a little nipple to uh, connect two pieces of pipe together or a coupler. And all of a sudden, that raw iron is just sending rust throughout the system. And it can be something that simple that can just create thousands of dollars of damage. So that is one of those two that you need to be careful with. And then I've seen plenty of times people grabbing the wrong materials and and creating issues with their P-traps underneath the sink. So you get the wrong materials, maybe you create an S-trap instead of a P-trap by accident because you've got the wrong plumbing fittings. So these are all things that you should really think about as far as getting the right pieces at the job so you can do it correctly and meet your building code. But using the wrong materials is a huge problem on residential diy projects and that's something i want you to make sure that you pay attention because it will save you a ton of headaches just like uh can't tell you how many times i've seen people using uh shark bites all the way into the uh into the water heater as well where that's just an issue and uh some of the messes underneath the sink and the plumbing can be quite the disaster all right we got so much more we come back of our top 10 electrical and plumbing mistakes homeowners make just as soon as around the house returns Out of your home through information and education thanks for joining me today we've been talking about this hour my top 10 electrical and plumbing mistakes homeowners make and we were even talking earlier about the ones that contractors are making too but this is just to bring awareness to these issues so uh, if you're tackling a project you can think hmm, maybe there's a better way of doing this which is always a good thing because if you can do it once and fix it right You know, everybody wins, including you not having to go back and do it again, because that always costs you more money. So here's one of my next ones here that I wanted to talk about. We talked about, uh, you know, not using junction boxes and electrical, using shark bite fittings as a permanent fix, uh, not following local electrical and plumbing code and using the wrong materials and plumbing. The next one is, is adding too much to an electrical circuit instead of a new home run. So maybe adding a couple extra outlets, and I've seen this happen, like in bathrooms. Where they're like, "Oh well, you know, we've got a uh, two outlets. You know, just one outlet really. You know, in a bathroom, I'm gonna put another set of outlets over there." But the problem is, is that that one clicks off even when you put in a curling iron in it. Maybe a second home run might be what you need. And so, running a new circuit is is troublesome for some people, depending on where it has to go. Some people with with crawl spaces, basements, attics, it's not that big a deal. Some people, it's really hard to get that electrical there. So these are all issues that you have to kind of take a look at and say, okay, what's it gonna to take to make it happen? And so I really want to make sure that we've got those things addressed. So make sure that you're not overloading a circuit. And that's that's a big one. And you know, lighting circuits these days have actually gotten a little bit better because we went from using an incandescent light bulb that, uh, you know, maybe used, you know, f- sheesh, you know, you had a 100 watt light bulb in there, a 75 watt light bulb, and now you have something that's pulling maybe one or two watts. So we used to have big problems with electrical in that we'd have, uh, you know, lighting circuits almost be cooking off because you had too many on there. These days, not the case. Uh, but still, it's those electrical outlets that you have to be careful with that, uh, you know, for instance, I in my house, Um, if you're running, um, cause it's an old house, the microwave circuit that it's on, if the microwave is running and you plug a vacuum cleaner into that same circuit, guess what? It's going to click it off. So these are things that you have to be careful with, you know, uh, using too much amperage on there. So just, you know, pulling too much power on one circuit, making sure it's not clicking off. And that's an important one. So make sure that you've got that. And if you've got a GFCI outlet or something that is not working correctly, don't forget those are about a 10 year lifespan. So maybe you need to swap out and put a fresh one in there because they do eventually wear out. But uh, making sure that you're not overloading a circuit is a big one and uh, never go in and put in a larger breaker unless you know exactly what's happened. Uh, That is another problem where people go, oh, I put a 20 amp on top of 15, but you still have the wrong wire and the wrong outlets and stuff. You just, um, it's crazy. You don't want to do it. And that's a whole other rabbit's hole we're not going to dive into. Uh, and that's maybe another episode. But uh, whoo, be careful, guys. I don't want to see you burn our house down. Now, the next one on my list here is a big one. And it's one of the mistakes that many homeowners make, and even contractors uh, can make. Not paying attention to warning signs of failure. Now, great example, I have a neighbor over here that is a uh, that moved out. They had some serious water damage in their house. They moved out, called for an inspection, bought a house out of state, and they found you know 150, 200 thousand dollars worth of the water damage in the house because a upstairs bathroom was leaking. It leaked underneath the cabinets. Of the other bathroom down the wall into the kitchen. So now they're doing two bathrooms in a kitchen, as well as a lot of other renovations. Problem is, how did you not know that you had? Water damage in those? Did you have high humidity? I'm sure there were signs that were missed. Rarely do you have a problem there, you know, that that gets skipped. You know, I mean, a lot of times you'll sit there and go, "Huh, I got a warping wood floor," or "Why is this room smell musty and damp?" You know, why do I smell something wet and rotten? These are things that are warning signs that that small leaks in plumbing can be an issue. So, taking a look at the humidity in your house. Monitoring that, making sure that you don't have any leaks and then paying attention to the warning signs of, of, a, of a spongy floor or a warped hardwood floor or discoloration under vinyl flooring or anything like that are warning signs of much bigger things that are going on. And if you're keeping an eye on things like, you know, I always recommend having mold tests done every few years to see what's going on. If you've got mold inside a wall, that could show up on the mold test. Most likely it will. So these are things that you can do to prevent it, but really watching for that. And the high humidity and the musty smell is a big warning sign. Just as around toilets and bathtubs or other places that you'll see warning signs, you'll have that, boy, the toilets are moving around a little bit, or boy, I walk in front of the toilet and it's a little soft right there. I can feel the floor just flux a little bit to, okay, I have to get the plunger out all the time. What's going on with this? You know, so There's a lot of warning signs. Be in tune with your house so you understand what those warning signs are and be on the lookout of them because if you can catch it early, it's always going to cost you less money to repair than it is if you catch it way on down the road. And sometimes, though, with these leaks, insurance companies will pay for it. Sometimes they'll say, wow, you should have seen that. You had knowledge, you ignored it, and now you have to pay for it because you didn't maintain your house correctly. So you want to get on it and make sure that, uh, you know, it's covered appropriately. So that way you don't have that damage. So that's a big one. Now, next up here that I want to talk about is a big one. Ignoring root damage to your sewer line or storm drain system. So we have two different systems here. We're talking about Your, your sewer line, which is where it comes out from your house, you know, inside your house, out to the street. If you're on a sewer system or storm drain, that's what your gutter's or any other uh, drains around the outside of your house go into to make sure that that water drains away. So on the storm drain system, your gutter downspout should go into that storm drain system. That you should have jetted out every four or five years tops. If you're in the forest like me, it could be a couple years. You want that free flowing so you're good to go. So make sure you've got that dialed in. And then every few years, even if you have gutter guard, spend the time to get that thing cleaned out. You know, if, if you don't have gutter guards and you've got trees, maybe two or three years, if you've got gutter guards and they're working well, maybe every four or five years. But that should get you there. Now, the sewer is a bigger issue, you know, because sometimes you can reline those, but there's also things where you get those those hips or the basically the dips in the sewer line where things collect. And that's where you have to to really dig in and do a repair. And that can be a much more expensive thing, especially if it's in a driveway or a street, or things like that. So be careful of that. And in my area here, if you buy a house, you have to uh, have a st- uh, sewer you know, uh, inspection done as part of that to make sure that that works correctly. And so that's part of the process of purchasing a house, just like when they test for radon. That's another one. Depending on your area, what the issues are, if you're out buying a house, these are things I really want you to make sure and take some time and get that sewer inspected. Get the camera down there, make sure it's working, make sure you don't have any issues. Mine was beautiful, pristine. I have a sewer line running down the side of my house just over in the easement over there. So it's not on my property, but mine goes right out my house, drops right down into that. So it's a pretty short run. So it's a, it's an easy one for me, but some people have a hundred feet or more and you want to make sure that that is good when you purchase the place. So that's another tip right there. So making sure that you don't have trees or damage to that or breaks, making sure that's working correctly. That's one that um, is a mistake that's happening is not paying attention to that sewer system. So make sure you've got that really dialed in. Now, another thing is too, is making sure where you're planting those trees, make sure that you've got trees and stuff that are well away from that area there. Uh, You don't want to see those roots getting into that and doing damage because uh, tree roots are one of the number one problems with sewer lines they'd love to get in there especially the older ones where you got clay or cement uh, they love to get in around there and that's where you get those issues and that's where maybe doing a relining job is going to be making sense for you and there's some great new technology with that that you don't have to dig things up so that's another good option there all righty guys if you want more information head over to around the you can see the youtube videos and everything else over there around the house we'll be right back we'll wrap this subject up just after these important messages don't go anywhere Hey, it's Eric G. with Around the House. Are you looking to grow your business? Need a spokesperson for your company? Maybe an MC for an upcoming trade show? Or maybe you want to up your game and shoot some promotional videos? My team of experts would love to chat with you. Head to AroundTheHouseOnline.com and fill out the contact us form, and we'll set something up. Thanks for listening to Around the House. Around the House Show. This is where we help you get the most out of your home through information education. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, if you want more information about us, head over to uh, Facebook and join our uh, Around the House show page over there. You'll see Around the House Show. And then we have Around the House Nation, which is our closed group where people are always sharing up their stories and things like that over there. And uh, we have a lot of great times happening over that page with great projects getting shared up. Well, we've been talking today about my top 10 electrical and plumbing mistakes that people make. And we've gone down quite the list so far. Let me do a recap. Uh, number 10, not using junction boxes and electrical. Number nine, using chart bike fittings as a permanent fix. Number eight, not following local electrical and plumbing code. Number seven, using the wrong materials and plumbing. Talking the flux strains and all that stuff you don't want to be using. Uh, next up, adding too much to an electrical circuit instead of a new home run and a new breaker. Next up, not paying attention to warning signs of failure. All those signs that it's giving you. And then um, number four, ignoring root damage to your sewer line. Now, number three is a big one right here. And this is only for people that maybe are not in the city atmosphere here of uh, where you're living in that area, but really not maintaining your septic tank system. Now, what this can be is this can be sitting there and you have a septic tank and you're not maintaining it. You're driving over the top of your drain field. You are just not doing what needed to be done with that. And always refer to your local expert in this. But really, three to five years is where they say, in most cases, that needs to be pumped out. When was the last time you had this pumped out? And now that you're seeing newer technology and systems, you know, really for you to make sure that system is maintained, functioning correctly, you've got the right enzymes going, and you're not putting things down there that you shouldn't be putting down there. And I'm talking about, I don't like garbage disposal going down there. I don't like flushable wipes. Those are all things that don't break up and shouldn't be going into a septic system because it's going to get expensive. And what I mean by expensive is if you've got an old system in there now, when you go to replace it, you might need to have a different style system depending on where you live. So there are new pumped systems where they have uh, these different tanks, and you got a a pump motor, and it's it's you can spend fifty thousand dollars quickly on a new system, and if you would have just maintained it for maybe five hundred bucks or a thousand bucks a year, tops, you'd be in a better shape. So I want you to use your money wisely. Even though those pump systems can be much better for the environment, if you can get some more life out of your system and you're on a budget, that is where you can get some savings. So rule number one, don't flush things down there that you don't want to. Two, I'm not a big fan of two of like draining your, um, your uh, if you have hard water, draining that into your septic tank can be problematic. Putting all that salt in there, that can be an issue. Uh, and also making sure that you're just not putting solids in there that don't need to go in there. So maintain that system, have an expert check it every couple of years, And really get the most life out of it. Now, next up is probably one of the most important ones out there. And uh, it's number two for that reason for me. Failure to identify when to call in a pro. There are times that even I call in that pro. Great example. My favorite is uh, when I'm going to do an electrical panel on my house, I called in my friends over at Rose City Electric to come do the panel. Because... They are going to be up to code. I wanted to make sure that the permits were filed. Everything was inspected. It was beautiful, ready to go. That's exactly what I did because I wanted to make sure that my old panel, which was going to be complex to change out. And, and here's why. So I had one of the old federal Pacific panels that was uh, uh, ready for a fire. Uh, the Bakelite Black had overheated due to a, a uh, fault in the line coming in overhead because it was old and it was uh, shorting out the neutral and it was starting to uh, overheat that line my house was ready for a fire it was ready to go so these are things you got to be very careful with and of course here's where the, the the bad part was is that to upgrade my panel i had to also move where the panel was going to be because it didn't meet current code in that that panel and my overhead needed to move about 20 feet from where it was to meet current building code. So my meter had to move as well. And I had to move into a spot that, quite frankly, I didn't like, but I didn't have much of a choice. So um, unfortunately, it's just where it was. So I had to move that. And this was one of those things that I went, you know, I could have done it. Yes, but this was best for an electrician to come knock out. And I'm happy I did. That saved me a ton of time and uh, it was done correctly. Now plumbing, for instance, uh, I bring in the pros when I want to water jet something when I want to clean out hydro jet out uh, my I bring in the pros. they have the tools, it's easier and uh, they have the high pressure stuff to knock that out, which is good. So knowing what your ability is is key, right? So let's make sure that you understand that. Sometimes you go look at it and go, man, I'm not doing this. Uh, This is above my skill grade. I'm bringing in a pro. That's what you want to do. And you want to do that before you get yourself stuck, right? You get into the project halfway through and you're like, oh man, I don't even know where to go from here. And then you have to bring the pro in. And when you do that on an emergency basis, it always costs you more money every single time. So just understanding where that is, is a key. And when in doubt, bring in that licensed plumber, bring in that licensed electrician and make sure that they're following building code and they're doing all the right stuff. So that's number two. And number one, let's get to this because this is an important one. Going for the cheap fix versus the longest lasting fix. And this is another one, you know, and, and I get it, guys. Things are freaking expensive out there. You know, labor is higher. Materials are higher than it's ever been before. Things are sketchy on the pricing out there. But I We still have to maintain our homes. And for many people, it's really hard, especially living paycheck to paycheck. So I get it. So you need to do the best you can for your investment. What I don't want you to see is to do something where you could have spent an extra $100 and fix something instead of having to go back and spend hundreds of dollars to fix it later. So make sure that you are making the best choice in putting the right materials in there. You know, if you have a kitchen faucet that failed and you can't afford to buy a decent one. And you're like, man, I got to go buy this $20 Amazon one. I get it. Just know that down the road, that's not going to last long. and You need to go put in the right one later. But if it gets you by and you know, you're trying to keep food on the table and the kids in school and all that stuff, I totally get it. So just make sure you can do the best you can. And when you can't get it there to put something quality in there and you're doing it as a DIY project, just make sure that you go back and upgrade that when you have the resources, because. That's just going to hurt you, and sometimes with something like that where it's water-based or electrical, you know, maybe it's not safe enough to really use on a long-term thing. You know, a $20 Amazon faucet, the one I tested last week in the show looked great. Uh, It held up for 15 minutes of testing, but how is that thing after a year? I have no idea. It was made cheaply, but um, felt quality. But really, you have to have the expectation that a $20 faucet isn't going to last long and you're never going to get repair parts. So really, like great example, water heaters. Okay, so you're putting the cheaper water heater in. It doesn't have the warranty. It doesn't have all that stuff. And that'll get you by for a number of years. you know. And I see that. You're not going in and buying the most expensive one at your home center. You're buying the cheapest one you can get to get it in there. I get that. That happens. You're just not going to get the lifespan that you get out of a more expensive one. And does it probably cost you more money? Yeah, you can get lucky. It's really depending on your situation. Sometimes that water heater, if you buy the cheap one, it's going to last, right? There's not too many things with it. It's simple, it'll go. Will it last as long as the the premium one? Probably not, because they probably did some better parts and stuff on it. But really, when it comes down to it, you got your hot water back. So that's the key. So just use some uh, balance while you're doing this, and it's going to be okay, you know, but uh, just make sure that you're doing the best you can with picking the cheapest stuff versus the longest lasting stuff. So you can do it once. Nobody likes doing a DIY project twice. All right, everybody. That's my top 10 electrical and plumbing mistakes that uh, people make around their house. Now there's a ton more. If I missed one, head over to Around the House Online and message over there. And I'd love to get your take on it of uh, which one I missed. Uh, should I do another 10? Let's hear it. If you've got 10 more, send them on over. I'd love to see what they are. Coming up here in our next hour, We've got two different subjects. We're going to talk about tricks to keep your house cool and my home security list of things to do for fall, things that you can be doing around your house to make sure that uh, as the daylight gets shorter here in the United States, what do we do to make sure that, uh, um, you know, many of us haven't been outside of the dark a lot just because, you know, with our busy schedules and, and uh, you know, this is where a little bit of security coming into the fall and winter is going to be a good thing. So let's talk a little bit about what we can do to keep that dialed in and if you want any more information about around the house head over to around and of course make sure you follow us on social media all right everybody we'll jump over to our number two don't go anywhere around the house we'll be right back after these important messages